Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, it's America's most famous haunted house. What do you know about the grisly murders around the Amityville Horror? We'll look at the new podcast series, Very Scary People. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hey, I'm hanging tough, Rebecca. Yes. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of Dead on Deadline, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello, Rebecca. How are you feeling, Laura? Uh, not so hot, but I'm here. Um, so I have COVID. So yes. I think, um, yeah, out of all of us who actually, Kevin, have you had COVID? No, I have not. I have not. Oh, so so it, we're 50-50 now because Toby 50, and I, 50, yeah. we're 50-50. So yeah, I, I thought I had allergies earlier in the week and then uh, uh, symptoms progressed and uh, tested negative one day, positive the next. So I have been binging trashy TV with my cats yeah. all week. Yeah. Um, so here I am. Well, we, we're glad that your your symptoms aren't very serious yes. and yes. Uh, you sound good and you so we're great. happy to have you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And also with us is our captain of all things cynical, author of the City Trilogy, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hey, Rebecca. I'm very excited to talk today about your people. My people. my Oh, my people from Long yeah, Island. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I am so excited to talk about my people from uh, my native country of Long Island as well. <laughs> Before we do that, Kevin Flynn, um, this obviously is our Monday podcast drop. What is coming up? And our next podcast drop this coming Thursday. Well, on Thursday, we're going to be talking about season two of Connie Walker's podcast, Stolen. Mm. It is Stolen, Surviving St. Michael's. Yes. Well, I'm looking forward to that discussion um, there's one thing that I want to mention before we uh, start our uh, conversation, mm -hmm. this podcast. Last week, we uh, promoted a little bit of an event that we are doing this coming weekend. I'd like to promote it again. Because now we have details? Well, we had the details last time, too. We just forgot to say <laughs> them. <laughs> so this Saturday, June 4th, in the charming AF town of Exeter, New Hampshire, at 7 p.m. at Water Street Bookstore. A fantastic independent bookstore in Exeter, New Hampshire, Laura Bricker's hometown. 
I will be interviewing author Elon Green about his incredible true crime book, Last Call, which, full disclosure, I just finished today. And Kevin, will you not acknowledge I have been talking to you about it nonstop since I started reading it. It is fan-freaking-tastic. Yeah, well, I've, Toby's been raving about it for, well, ever since it came out. Yeah, yeah. it's it's fantastic. You can do your homework now. listening to the deep dive. Listen to the deep dive. Uh, listen to or read the book. It is about a uh, serial killer uh, prowling uh, New York's gay piano bar scene in the early 1990s. It is fan-freaking-tastic. So Elon Green is going to be at Water Street Bookstore in Exeter, New Hampshire at 7 p.m. And Laura Bricker, if she is feeling better, has mm-hmm. committed to hanging out with me for a little bit after the event. We're going to, I think, maybe bring a couple of bottles of wine. And if any CWO fans come, hang out with them for a few minutes afterwards. Right. That is the plan. That's I the will plan. be there. I, I, I may the be there, too. Yay! And, oh, Toby Ball. Yay. And Kevin's going to be umpiring. Yeah, if it rains, then I will be there. If oh. it, yeah, if it rains, Lara, our plan to have drinks beforehand on a patio is screwed. But it's screwed mm. after we've reserved the whole patio. Oh, <laughs> man. Okay. Why didn't we I'll reserve inside seats? But we'll do our best. Because they were all gone because it's also a graduation weekend. So, yeah. 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 Yeah, it's a busy weekend. All right. Well, we hope to see any crime writer fans who can show up. That would be wonderful. I'll bring a couple of bottles of rosé and we will chat and you get to meet author Elon Green, who, by the way, is way smarter than all of us put together. So that is what's happening. No offense, Toby. So that is what is happening <laughs> this coming Saturday, June 4th. Where did that come all from? right. I don't know. But would you not agree that he's probably smarter than all four of us? I think he probably is. Anyway, all right. So um, I think we should go ahead and get started with the incredibly um, intelligent and intellectual conversation we're going to be having about the podcast this week. Should we get going? All right, do it. I'm going to go ahead and drop that first clip right now. A man makes a 911 call to the Suffolk County Police Department. Something's gone horribly wrong in Amityville. The man is panicked. He sounds like he's seen a ghost. Before it was known on the big screen as a house of horror, the Dutch colonial at 112 Ocean Avenue in Amityville, Long Island, belonged to the family of Ron DeFeo. In November of 1974, Ron Jr. found his parents and four siblings shot to death in their beds. This was a multiple murder, six bodies, six victims. I had never seen anything this gruesome. I couldn't sleep. For months. Though there were allegations of domestic violence and ties to organized crime, police focused on Ron Jr. His trial captivated the community, but his grisly crimes would be overshadowed by the new homeowners' claims that the house was possessed. And they're claiming that they were terrified by all kinds of things in there, you know, eerie shapes and noises and strange feelings. The new podcast, Very Scary People from HLN, revisits the DeFeo murders, the crime which was the prologue to the Amityville horror. Narrated by Donnie Wahlberg, the series explores the DeFeo family history, theories of the crime, and the supernatural legacy of the crime scene. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from Very Scary People, so if you want to remain spoiler-free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes, or never read any ever coverage of the Amityville horror case, which has been out for like 40 plus years, to go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. Get 
<laughs> so Toby, your first note is very funny. Your first note that you sent me was, this podcast is ripe for a drinking game. What drinking game would you in fact play along with this podcast? They just, they do, or I should say Donnie, uh, just does the same things again and again and again. So somebody will say something, he'll be like, you heard that right, and then repeat what they said. Or he gives the address of the house like constantly. 112 Ocean Avenue. Yeah, 112 Ocean Avenue, again and again and again. Um, I don't know the number of times he had to explain that Ron Jr. was also called Butch. Um, So anyway, (laughs) there's enough of these things where you you could tie a pretty good buzz on every week. Kevin, what do you think of Donnie Wahlberg as the host of this podcast? After you tell me what you think, I will tell you what I think of Donnie Wahlberg as the host of this podcast. Okay, well, look, my expectations were pretty low having Donnie Wahlberg as the host and having this produced by HLN. Remember, they were the producers of Down the Hill, the Delphi Murders, and we thought that that was pretty rudimentary. Wait, which one was that? That was the one with the two girls and the railroad Oh, Didn't they have that horrible tape they kept yes. playing yeah. over and yes, over again? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Could never understand. Yes. Uh, so, th- you know, that said, like, this is pretty straightforward with lots of sound, and they do a decent job recounting a murder that we didn't know much about. Not every podcast needs to be hosted by a journalist who's going to bring, like, a first-person perspective or point of view. This is squarely in a category where, like, Donnie Wahlberg knows his role. He's the narrator, and he stays in his lane. Right, I wanted to really make a lot, of, make fun of him, but I really can't. I actually kind of liked. I thought it was cute when he got around introducing himself. I'm your host, Donnie Wahlberg. Yep, I'm the guy from New Kids on the Block. I'm also an actor and a producer. You might also know me from the Saw series about the Jigsaw Killer or The Sixth Sense. <laughs> you know shit. <laughs> I know I'm from the hamburger place. <laughs> Wahlburgers. One thing you said was just really funny to me right now. Well, me only me, maybe. Murders that we don't know a lot about. I know everything about these murders. Oh, Every, well. Everything. Like uh, the Amy Fisher case, like the Joel Rifkin case, like the Long Island serial killer case, the Amityville horror case especially is woven into the fabric of my childhood. The Amityville Horror House was about 12... What kind of fucking childhood did you have? I'm sorry. The Amityville Horror House was about 12 minutes from where I grew up, door to door. We used to drive there as a teenager, growing up, like, that's a thing, like, people would visit and would be like, do you want to go see where the Amityville Horror House was? Like, it's a few towns over from where I lived. It's on my train line. Amityville, Merrick, it went through all the towns on the south shore of Long Island, including my hometown of Freeport, Long Island. You know, the DeFeo family, their connections, their car dealership connections. It was just a very, very, very familiar story. We all followed the renovations that took place at 112 Ocean Avenue when they painted the house yellow, when they painted the house pink, when they changed the windows. So it's funny to me. I would say that a lot of not everybody has that level no, of I know. detail and that kind no, of I know. Crap. So so for me entering this Why, podcast. Why did you know that they changed the windows? No, no. But me entering this podcast was a very different experience <laughs> than the two of you. Yeah. So I'm just saying. I love Donnie Wahlberg doing this podcast because I'm like, I'm hearing like Donnie Wahlberg talking about a story that like, it's like he's telling me a story like that I know, you know, that yeah. like, I think about just that? in a lower register, a much lower register. Like, how does he even sing anymore? He must be lip syncing, right? 
He must be. He just he's eating the microphone. Really <laughs> what do you think of Donnie's presence here, Laura Bricker? Well, I didn't know anything about this case. And I'd like to point out, like Kevin was saying, you also went to Class Action Park, Rebecca. Yes. Yes. That happened in the childhood of Rebecca. But yeah, so I, I knew of it more as like the horror movie thing, like the Amneville Horror House. Like I didn't actually, you know, know any details of the murder before this podcast. So Donnie Wahlberg, I just thought of him as sort of like, a place filler here. I was like, oh, it's Donnie Wahlberg. Okay. I mean, I felt like it was like, he didn't add that much excitement to, for me personally, to the narration style of this podcast. Like, quite honestly, I don't know if I would have even known it was him if he didn't introduce himself because he was, it was like competent. It was done like kind of overall, like everything was there. The people were there. There was interviews, the details, but there just wasn't that much pizzazz. Mm. Um, for me anyway, in the delivery of this podcast, aside from Toby's drinking game. I was surprised him being from Boston. It was like, it was murder. (laughs) So Toby, one of the things that struck me was at the beginning of the podcast, they have a bunch of people saying that like this Amityville was this bucolic place in the early 1970s. I can't speak to whether or not it was bucolic in the early 1970s. It was not bucolic in the 80s when I was growing up. However, they said it was not the kind of place where a mass murder would take place. And I found myself thinking, where the fuck is the kind of place where a mass murder of a family would take place, right? Yeah, it was weird. Like, they do at the beginning kind of set up this thing where it's like Amityville, like, and even their house. Like, I think they call it like a stately house. And you wouldn't expect a family to be murdered there. Uh, And they also kind of contrast that with like the city. And I can't remember who it is, whether it was a reporter or a detective or something. But they say that he grew up in Brooklyn where he witnessed burglaries and murders. And I was like, (laughs) wait, what is that? Can that be true? He's no snitch. Yeah. So I I don't know. I thought the whole thing was kind of weird. Like it, it does kind of play into that. It couldn't happen here. It's like these. You know, nice white folks. You wouldn't see them mass murdering each other with a pool. With a, they had a very nice pool. They backed up to the canal. Um, Why would they? Why would they murder each other? He would pray in his underwear to the statues out front. Oh my! That is such a Long Island detail. Uh, It is such a Long Island detail. Well, well, that's the other thing they do at the beginning is they they're talking about how like they were totally normal and just like you couldn't have wouldn't have expected it. Just a normal family. Which I think is to set up like this reveal, like, no, well, everything wasn't as good as it seemed. It's like, well, you know, a lot of this stuff was playing out in public, like him walking out in his underwear to pray to statues that he'd put up on his lawn. And the fact that kids wouldn't have friends come over because their dad was so right. volatile. I, I don't know. It was kind of weird. Like, I, they spent a lot of time on it, and then it turned out to be BS. I would like to hear Keith Morrison narrate about the Amityville. <laughs> I see, I can't even say the Amityville. How do you say it? Amityville. Like, he would bring kind of a spooky Halloween tone to it. Potentially. I mean, I did love the description. Flies and the devil. (laughs) I I did love- Punching the nun in the head. I I did love, by the way, the opening of the first episode Mm -hmm. has this crazy disclaimer at the beginning of it, where it says- Just a heads up before we begin. This episode contains references to ghosts, demons, and a grisly mass murder. Listen with care. You know what's actually disturbing is the description of brains. Yes. Like on the floor. (laughs) They got it in the neck and the face, the blood and the brain matter and other bodily matter was all over the beds, the walls, et cetera. 
There was very little discussion of ghosts and demons, but the actual description of the disgusting graphic crime scene, perhaps more uh, disturbing than the descriptions of in like imaginary ghosts and demons that they never actually really talk about in the first episode. One thing that I will say, and um, I'll just say it, like the DeFeos, they're giant oil portraits of the whole family, like going up the stairs. The statuary on the front lawn. Kind of gauche. Nobody in this neighborhood didn't know this family was mobbed up. And oh. nobody in this neighborhood did thought this family was just a regular all-American family where there was nothing weird going on. I guarantee it. Because I grew up with families like this in my neighborhood. And everyone knew it was going on with families like this. Is everyone. It, is that why the neighbors like later said, yeah, we did hear shots, yes. but we didn't want to say anything? Yeah, Exactly. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. All right, Kevin, so should we do the business section right now? I think now would be a good time to do the business section. I'm going to drop that music now. Do you hear it? I hear it, yes. No, you don't, because I'll drop it later. Oh, you son of a... I do it in the post-recording, like, production part. You know, you really got to stop pulling the curtain back. Listen, people like it when I do Some magic, please. Talk about the business. All right, the business is right now on Patreon. You can listen to the Crime Writers on After Show. This week, we're going to be talking about, hey, summer is here officially. I mean, is that officially? No, what do you say? not officially, but it is the, the unofficial, unofficial start, start of, of summer. summer. Yes, as of today. Summer, right, okay. Memorial Day, right, is the unofficial start of summer. Yeah, we're going to talk about some of our picks for things that we're looking forward to either watching or reading or listening to uh, coming up this summer. Maybe while we have our toes in the sand someplace here. I have recommendations. Cold Atlantic Ocean, yeah. Yeah, I'm excited. Okay. I'm giving you my book recommendations. Also, you can listen to, among the other exclusive podcasts... The latest Leave It to Bricker, in which Laura and her friends cannot get over their obsession with this shady-ass spa <laughs> in their quaint <laughs> AF town of Exeter, New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's going on with Laura, right? But think about it. This past year, she has done the boobs on the bar episode. <laughs> she's done, this is the second time she's going to look at this shady spa stuff. We have to bleep the name out of it yep, and everything. The bleep bleep spa. Mm-hmm. You remember she went to uh, Florida and was like, you know, bought a vibrator. I said, what life is Laura Bricker living right now? Don't know. Uh, but it, I'll just, I'll just, I don't want to give away the ending. Okay. But Laura is now convinced she and a friend need to go and get a couple's massage 
mm-hmm. and hope for the worst. Mm. Or the best, I don't know. It depends. I, I mean, the worst might be the best ending that I could receive. Yes. Only if it's happy. Yes. Mm-hmm. So if you want to uh, join us on Patreon, just go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Just like it said at the beginning of this podcast episode, uh, you can get uh, nearly, oh, I think we're almost 300 episodes. Yes. Of exclusive stuff, including Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast and Married With Podcast. And don't forget... To sign up for free for our Crime Writers on Newsletter. It'll be out on Thursday. You'll get to see all this special behind-the-scenes stuff uh, and a special announcement coming from Toby Ball on Thursday. Ooh. Plus, see the Cat of the Week and all this other crap. Who knows? It's all free. Cool Go to CrimeWritersOn.com and uh, sign up for nothing. Yeah. So, Kevin, does that end the business section? Yeah, thus ends the business section. It was a horror, an Amityville horror. It was. <laughs> All right, so Toby, you actually also sent me some notes about the production style of this podcast. What would you like to say about that? They do this weird thing with sound bites where some of the sound bites are really, really short and don't aren't very illuminating about anything. And some of them are really short, but they take quite a while to set them up and then they repeat what the person said in the sound bite right afterwards. So they'll be like, you know, this is, you know, this is Sally who knew the kids when they were growing up in elementary school and she remembers them as being really nice kids and it's although she was intimidated by the dad a little bit and she was at the funeral that then and then they'll cut to her and she'll be like the kids were in white coffins you heard that right the kids were in white coffins the adults were in brown coffins but the kids were in white coffins you know it's like so so what Uh, like i don't what does that mean i don't it's just kind of weird it's like they did these interviews and then they felt like they wanted to use something from them just to show how many people they talked to so they just stick these like weird little like one or two sentence quotes sort of again and again and it's i I couldn't figure out like what what we're supposed to get out of them well i'm going to say that you know that the success or failure of this podcast would depend on the writing and the news production value and i'll say yeah the first episode like they really you know, try to go in full bore on conveying the drama of the murders, and it's overdone a little bit. Donnie Wahlberg is just going to be the narrator, and he's only going to be as good as what they give him, right? And how and how they produce the stuff around him. And I, in, in a way, it's it's not very different than what Whitney Cummings had to do with Boinga Boinga. You know, she injected a little more humor in it, although I don't think we appreciated it all that much. Anyway, as far as the writing goes, I think certainly the first two episodes are kind of the weakest. Toby's right. There was a lot of repeating about, yeah, there were four children. And that, you know, like, yeah, we already know who was in the family. Thank you, you know. And also, they gave Donnie a lot of lists. Like what? Like you'd say, like, folks in Amityville knew they were connected to the mob. You heard right. He said the DeFeos were connected to the mob, the mafia, organized crime. He <laughs> <laughs> was like, he's going to go to jail. The Pokey, the Slammer, <laughs> the Big House, I the love, Iron Bar Hotel. You know, I loved it. I don't know. I'm sorry. I loved it. I think my taste is just degrading as I get older. <laughs> There's something about this that I found really trashy and charming. Laura Bricker, they, Kevin just said he thought the first two episodes were like not as good. When I started listening to this, I had like my expectations were set at like zero. And I started listening to it and I was like, why do I like this? What is the matter with me? I mean, it was gross, right? And the mm-hmm. and the details were uh, grisly. So, yeah. 
But there were also some like, granted, I know a lot about the story, but I also found myself hearing things that made me curious again, like the detail with the dog, for instance. What did you just think about the way the sort of case itself was laid out? Like before they sort of say that the police ended up arresting Ron slash Butch, which, by the way, I know that he's known in the press and the media as Ron Jr. But if they're going to keep saying he's Butch, they should just call him Butch the whole time or Ron Jr. the whole time. That was very well. The people they interviewed kept going back and forth. Right. True. So true, true, true. Yeah. You know, I felt like they kind of drew it out a little bit too much for me in the leading up to the big reveal because it was like. You know, for me, the more interesting episodes were at the end when there was like sort of this aftermath and how Mm. this became this sort of folklore sort of mecca for people that wanted to go see the creepy house and sneak up. But, you know, like they they kind of the lead up to exposing who the murderer actually was for me, it was it was almost kind of just distracting because it was just so slow. I was like, okay, we get it. Like one family member's alive, the dog's in the shed. Something's kind of fishy here. But it was just, it was very methodical. It was very complete. Like I said, like, you know, you and I were talking about this the other day. I said, this is like a very competent podcast. It was easy to listen to. There was nothing really offensive about like, it was just, it didn't blow me away. But, you know, I I wish they had perhaps, you know, in the narrative sort of structure kind of sped that part up a little bit more. Because for me, the more interesting parts of this happened towards the end when we had the trial and then sort of the aftermath of this. Yeah. Kevin, I've always thought the dog being outside of the shed, always thought this. Yeah. Indicated that either it wasn't Ron DeFeo Jr. or that he did not work alone. Because why the hell would Ron DeFeo Jr. need to put his own dog outside in order to kill his own family? Well, they explained that the dog did not like Ron Jr. And I think actually that shows to me that he Who did do it. explained that? Donnie did. Donnie, Donnie did. Donnie said, you know, well, it's a smart dog or something like that. <laughs> this is, again, another example of sort of the hounds of the Baskerville, the dog, or, or, you know, the dog that doesn't bark. The dog would have to go out if somebody assumed the dog was going to attack. But the act of putting the dog out without the dog attacking shows that the dog knew the person who right. put him out why there. Why not just so, kill the dog? Why not just kill the dog? I Well, I don't know. They were, you're already going to kill six people. Why right. not also right. shoot the dog? It's a great question. Okay. It's a horrible question. Well, let's just talk about like the part of the, the story that everybody knows about the story, right? Which is the Amityville horror part of the story, right? Yeah. Er, the only reason people know about these murders at all are because of what happened after, which was that this family moved into the house lived there for a couple of weeks, fled the house, claiming that the house was haunted, black ooze was coming out of the walls, flies everywhere, and they fled the house and left all their stuff behind. Get out. (laughs) What do we think of the fact? (laughs) Carolyn! That's Poltergeist that is not this. No, that's that's the Steven Spielberg version of this. Come on. That's true, that's true. So what do we think of the fact... That the New York major market television stations <laughs> dealt with this claim by doing a seance on camera. And that was the way they decided to report this story was by bringing in psychics and mediums and reporters and having that be the way that they decided to do this story on the television news station. Oh, my God. It's like Geraldo. Like, I was like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? I mean, I just thought it was freaking bonkers. But that was one of the parts I just loved. I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe they're doing this right now. Alberta, the psychic, started screaming. 
She was panicked. It's upstairs in the second bedroom. In the second floor bedroom. I don't know what it was. And it's moving around. And she ran out of the room screaming. Then the other psychic, Mary, bolted from the dining room table and ran out to the front lawn, vomiting. It just, you know, it reminded me. It's like, so I listened to this, and then today, and like during my period of COVID convalescence, I've been binging the Working Mom show on Netflix, and they just stayed in a haunted house on a ladies' weekend. And all I could think of was like, and they had all these like gimmicks thrown into the thing. And I'm like, it just kind of reminded me of this. I mean, it was like the black ooze. I'm like, really? Yeah. Really? Like, oh my gosh, but wouldn't it have been exciting if they had seen something? Oh my goodness. Well, you have the one journalist person saying, how could they have known it would turn into this big phenomenon? Why why would they make this up, right? And then you have the guy who I love, and I remember him growing up being on TV. And and she's saying like, oh, the first medium, the minute she walked in, this is the most evil place I've ever seen. And then he's like, yeah, I was there. I I didn't see anything. (laughs) I was there prepared to report what I saw and to experience anything unusual that might have happened. All I experienced was a slight chill behind the ear. Could have been anything. It was a cold March night. Door could have been open, a window open. <laughs> what does our resident cynic think of all this? <laughs> Strange Arrival Season 7 coming I, I've up I've really here. turned around on this whole thing. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's just, you know, for me, actually, this part was just reminiscent of growing up and having those stations on cable. Like WPIX, and I don't know if this is Channel yes. 5 or Channel 7 or whatever, but it just was like Bob McAllister and Wonderama and like all these things that these Channel 11 that these stations did to like compete with each other in the New York market. So that seems totally in keeping with that kind of competition for viewers. At the same time, just being completely freaking nuts. Like, can you imagine like putting on WMUR and they're like doing a seance up in, you know? If I was still on, yeah, well, they would. Kevin, oh, I, I would do it. Kevin, you I would do, do that in Chronicle 100%. I, I would, but I would keep looking over at the, you know, into the camera with my eye, like, rolling yeah. my eye a little bit. <laughs> Sean McDonald would know exactly what I'm talking about. I would love to say just, we would have Janet Varney come on, and she'd be dressed like her character from Fortune Rookie, and she could be doing the seance, and we could be like, Oh, Romeo, I'm calling you. It's nuts. It's nuts. It's nuts. What do we think about the first reporter who's ever on the scene of this whole thing who said he went home and immediately his little kitten died in his hands? The actual fuck, man. <laughs> I petted her about three times, I think. I just pet, pet like that. And all of a sudden she looks at me and goes, ah. She makes a little noise like this. Ah. Her head goes over and she died in my hands. That doesn't sound to me like something possessed happened. It sounds to me like he killed his fucking cat. I just why would a yeah. little kitten die in your hands for yeah, no it's reason? Theory that I, I a didn't buy that evil spirit followed him home and then killed his kitten as he pet him and like I'm not saying that. I'm not saying and like that. why didn't they follow ex-wife, everybody right? else home? Like why why was it that guy? Why did that guy get chosen? Because you know he's special. <laughs> it's like when I covered a story on Scientology and I was like a brand new reporter and I they the guy was like warning me. He said the Scientologists will come for you now and I but was that's true. Home. That actually was coming home and my car like engine died. And I was like, oh, my God, they've already found me. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I I just had a shitty car because I was like just out of college. But the Scientologists will write you emails and complain. Yeah. Say something about Amanda Knox. They did kill somebody's cat. They did kill somebody's. They killed some. Yeah. Yeah. Allegedly. I think we should probably. Allegedly. (laughs) Allegedly. They allegedly. No, that cat thing was in the news. 
BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. Well, I think we should do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out the new podcast, Very Scary People, uh, from HLN? This season, which I assume might be just the first season of many, was about the Amityville horror case, the murders of the DeFeo family, Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for very scary people? I'm going to go mild thumbs up because there was nothing really like hugely wrong with this podcast. I just it was like I listened to it and it was easy to listen to. It was like comprehensive. It had all the right information. We had Donnie Wahlberg of the Wahlbergers. And I didn't know a lot about this particular murder. I knew about sort of the aftermath in the house. But, you know, that part was interesting. It's an interesting podcast, and if you don't know a lot about the case, you will be able to get up to speed. Toby Ball, what do you think about very scary people? Um, I feel like they could have just edited out words and cut it down by like an entire uh, episode. I mean, they just there's so much like redundancy and like feeling like that. Why have words? They have to name all the kids every once in a while. They have to run through the entire list of kids. Yeah, I thought it was it was sort of surprisingly poorly written. I, I couldn't connect with it at all. I mean, it's not the worst. And then the the last episode, which is where they kind of tack on the whole Amityville horror franchise stuff, just seemed like it was tacked on. Like it it's just sort of amended to this other story that they're trying to tell. So you know, I, I'm a thumbs down. I'm not like a horrible thumbs down, but I just it's it's kind of a mess. I thought. Kevin Flint. I'm a I'm a slight thumbs up. Again, this podcast doesn't ever get really great or get really bad. This isn't going to be on my top 10 list. But for what it is, it's fine. It's a competently told uh, story with not a lot of forced errors here. Donnie Wahlberg, he's either going to make or break the podcast. It's either going to be, yeah, Donnie's going to tell the story in a great way that I'm going to enjoy, or I'm just going to be too distracted because it's Donnie. But I think he does a you know, a decent job. The investigation part, they, they they don't rely solely on a bunch of narration. They do cycle in different points of view with a lot of different tape. And I did appreciate, they did probe a little bit into the whole Amityville Horror House and where that may have come from and how that's sort of interconnected with the DeFeo's defense appeal. 
no spoilers there, but I thought that that was you know, no kind of smart. Spoilers. They happened like a million years ago. Well, no, I thought that that, that was, <laughs> I don't want to say something that, you know, give away part of episode six. Anyway, it's fine. Donnie, if you're listening, give me a call. We'll grab a burger at Wahlburgers. And he doesn't I'll eat that. You. He's in way too good of a shape. He does not eat that food. I guarantee. Well, maybe he doesn't. Jenny won't let him eat that. All right. So here's where I am on it. Okay. Music wise, I have always been more of a fan of NSYNC than Backstreet Oh, for fuck's Boys. sake. Are we really going there? This is important. All right. Lately, though, learning what trash Justin Timberlake is, I have been like gravitating more toward New Kids on the Block, especially since. Jonathan Knight has now this incredible show on HGTV called Farmhouse Fixer, which is entirely filmed in New England. By the way, the first episode was filmed in Hollis, New Hampshire. Great show. I recommend it highly. So I entered this podcast with some bias, okay? I'm enjoying Jonathan Knight's show on HGTV very much, and I grew up like 12 miles from where this whole thing happened, and this story of the Amityville case infused my entire childhood. So... With those caveats, the listener needs to know that I liked this way more than I would have liked it otherwise, because this is probably way worse than I heard it. I just guarantee it. Like if I had heard this without those lenses, I probably would have been like, this is not great. But I really liked it. <laughs> and it's probably because of those factors. I found Donnie Wahlberg to be charming. And I am just... You know, it's like when there's an Amy Fisher podcast, I'm probably going to have the same reaction unless it's like factually inaccurate and awful because like that's another case that I literally know everything about. <sighs> so I'm sorry. I know this is not a great reflection of like my usual high standards and uh, like pointed criticism, but I got to give this thing a thumbs up. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Just going to do it. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime, crime of the week. Of the week. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> the is that the right one? That is the worst New Kids on the Block song. It was so okay. bad. In a measure of how truly delusional we have become, no, that's in sync. The bye, bye, bye. That's in sync. No, I thought New Kids on the Block is hanging tough. That's hanging tough. Yeah. Yes, but Kevin just did the bye, bye, bye. Hands. That's in sync. Oh, yeah. Those guys hate each other, I bet. Yeah. What sorry. about Backstreet Boys? Backstreet's back. All right. Back from where? We don't okay. know. <laughs> I'm really praying that Spotify takes our episode down. <laughs> <laughs> now it's time again for my favorite part of this podcast, a little something I like to call the crime, crime of, the week. of the week. In a measure of how truly delusional we have become, besides me liking the stupid podcast we just reviewed, a new poll shows that 6% of Americans think they could beat a grizzly bear in hand-to-hand combat. YouGov polled Americans on which animals they thought they could defeat in an unarmed fight. 72% thought they could beat a rat. (laughs) (laughs) Just higher than an attacking house cat or a wild goose. By the way, no one could fucking be that, a wild yeah, goose. That's, I guarantee it. That's like zero percent of the population. <laughs> but the goose ganker. I've been I've been attacked by a goose. You cannot beat that shit. Less than a third believed they'd come out on top of fighting an eagle or a large dog. That's that's reasonable. But eight percent, and we still think this is a high number, believe they could win if they squared off against a gorilla. <laughs> An elephant or a lion. <laughs> what 
the fuck is the matter with you, any of you people? Put them up. Put them up. <laughs> and maybe they've watched Leonardo DiCaprio in The Revenant too many times. But 6% of men and women polled think they could beat an up to 1,700-pound grizzly bear. (laughs) It's our hope that these overly confident citizens don't head into the wilderness itching for a fight. Although the great many of respondents didn't think they'd do well matched up against a crocodile or king cobra... No one said they can take an owl because, you know, they're murderous sons of bitches. Oh <laughs> so, panel, let's take the gloves off. Which of us crime writers do you think could beat a grizzly bear in one-on-one combat? Lara Bricker, what do you think? Oh, boy. I'm going with Toby Ball. I yeah. mean, we've seen the guns when he comes here after his basketball games, and he's the tallest one of our – Like, so I think – that's that's what he's got going for him in this. He could get Toby the bear Ball. in a headlock. Yeah, I think my reach yeah. advantage against a grizzly bear might might be the difference. Um, yeah. Well, if you'd at least be like the same height and you could be like. Rawr. There's only one answer like. to this question, and it's Laura. And I know she can't answer herself, yes. so I'll yes. be the first person to tell the truth. I agree. Why do you think it's Laura Bricker, Toby? I mean, do I have to like list all the reasons? I mean, it's nope. I just think it's apparent. She learned how to kill a bear in cat detective school. Yes. And if she didn't kill him from the, all the tools in cat detective school, she might talk him to yeah. death. Right? Oh, yeah. that's a good wow. one. Wow. That's a good one. Anyone who's ever walked down Exeter, like any street in Exeter with Laura Bricker knows. No brown bears in Exeter. Just saying. Wow. So wow. 6% right, of people thought that they could yeah. unarmed come out on top against a grizzly bear? Uh, 8% believe they could win if they square off against a gorilla. Have you ever seen a fucking gorilla? Yeah, gorillas are, yeah. There's no no way. An elephant or a lion, okay? So I don't, even if an elephant was like being docile, like there's nothing you could really do to it to hurt it. And then once it got pissed off, it would stomp you. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And by the way, seventy-two percent think they could beat a wild goose. Yeah, that's not that's no. not happening either. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they are they are mean. They are oh, mean yeah. and they are aggressive and they actually can like freaking peck your eyes out. They are so yeah. aggressive. Yeah. Yeah, but like, like sixty-eight, sixty-nine percent think that they could they'd beat a cat. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a high number, but there's still there's still like a thirty-one percent. A think third of people are like, no, I couldn't do a cat. What do you think about I'll a take, bobcat? I'll take the L. Oh. That's fine. I don't think a bobcat. I think that would be scary. You do. All yeah. right, uh, Lara Bricker. Folks want to reach out to you and say, I'm sorry that Rebecca said that you could talk a grizzly bear to death. I apologize okay. on her behalf, and she's once again bullying you on the podcast. I'm going to leave a bad comment. <laughs> How can they find Twitter? To apologize to you on my behalf. Um, they can find me at Laura Bricker. And one of the things I often tell people, because um, it has been told to me many times, is that I could talk a starving dog off a meat truck. So <laughs> I take it as a compliment, Rebecca. It is true. And it's actually, to be honest, my absolute favorite thing about you. Toby Ball, folks want to reach out to you on Twitter and say, no, Toby, I believe it is you that could take a grizzly bear to fight. How can they find you on Twitter? It would Twitter? be so wrong, but uh, they can find me at Toby Ball NH. And Kevin Flynn, if folks want to reach out to you because they want to hear more of your Donnie Wahlberg impression, how can they find you on Twitter? Yo, I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoie. Follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On and please join our amazing community in our official 
Crime Writers on Facebook discussion group. I have admitted so many people this week, and so many of them, Kevin, have picked you as their favorite crime writer. As F- they should. Y-I. We also have a regular old Facebook page. Just go there, hit join the group. That's how you will find our group. Answer a couple questions. We will let you in. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll get the crime writers on after show right now. Plus, you'll get married with podcast, Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker podcast, and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcasts. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the newly college graduated Olivia Burdett. Hey, congratulations. The executive producer of this fine program is Kevin P. Flynn. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement where we hold televised seances in a shameless attempt to get ratings during sweeps week. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. I told you my favorite all-time concert like write-up thing was during uh, when I worked in the clip room and we were like, reading 70 newspapers a day mm-hmm. um the new kids on the block were doing a show i can't remember where it was but apparently during hanging tough like donnie Wahlberg would like jump off a riser and like touch his toes in a split and then land on the stage but they had flipped open a trap door so he jumped up touched his toes and when he went for the landing went right through <laughs> and hurt himself <laughs> like wily oh coyote poor donnie yeah. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.